0: This episode of Sean of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy, the fisherman, the woodcarver, and the Southern Baptist who always said the best cure for idle hands is to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. My wife and I went to help my, my aunt, my elderly Aunt Eula, hang her decorations every year. She lives in Georgia. And this is a big deal for her. Now, she's, uh, she's a very eccentric woman. She's, she's not, well, she's, she's one taco short of a blue plate special. <laughs> the engine's running, no one's at the wheel. That's Aunt Eula. She didn't always used to be like that, but she is like that now. And we love her for it. You know, they become more endearing. It become more endearing because different parts of her personality are coming out that never came out before. But she needs help putting up her Christmas decorations, and so it's an annual event for my wife and I. We went to go help her. She lives alone. We got there, and my wife and I were unpacking these boxes, and my wife was looking at these figurines as I was outside on a three-story ladder, dangling above the world mumbling expletives that you don't want to know, while Pat Boone sang, Oh, Holy Night. <laughs> and my wife was looking at these, these figurines, and they were beavers. They were all sorts. My, my aunt has about 6,000 beavers, lots and lots of beavers. My wife placed these all over the place. There were beaver salt shakers and there were beaver pitchers for the red rooster cocktail that Aunt Yula would make. It's one part vodka, one part nothing. <laughs> My wife asked me, she said, what's up with all these beavers? Why does your Aunt Yula have all these beavers? And don't tell me if it's something not good. <laughs> She's an old woman. So these beavers serve a very, very... Uh, a very important sentimental purpose for her. She collects all sorts of things. And you can look at her tree, and you can see that she has a real thing for these, for these figurines. Because right there on the tree, next to the kissing goldfish in the 1973 Elvis Aloha figurine, there's a beaver. And this beaver is smoking a cigar with a little Santa Claus hat. He's got these long teeth and he's just looking right at her like Rodney Dangerfield. Well, it was the Christmas that my father had just passed that we went to go live with my aunt and uncle. They lived in the hinterlands outside Atlanta, and we lived, my mother, my sister, and I on that terrible year in a little triangular upstairs bedroom with a circular window, a medieval torture rack mattress sleeper sofa, (laughs) and a bathroom that worked on days of the week beginning with R. And a space heater with a sticker on the back that said, I like Ike, that had turned into toxic plastic long ago and smelt up the entire upstairs bedroom so that it smelled like cabbage fricassee. (laughs) Now, my aunt, she was a special woman. She decided that the way to deal with grief and bereavement and pain was through food. Food. My people believe in the healing power of lemon chicken casserole and squash casserole and chicken cheese casserole and chicken cheese and jalapeno casserole and chicken cheese and jalapeno jalapeno with extra onion casserole and chicken chicken casserole. (laughs) That woman could work in saturated fats like some people work in clay or marble. She'd be in that kitchen, and she perpetually wore that apron, that checked red and white gingham apron, and she would bustle it around. She could open and close oven doors with only her backside. <laughs> and she would cook spiral hams and turkeys. And so it was that year that we went to join her and live in her house, and she fed me, and I gained 18 pounds in one Christmas season. One of the greatest periods of my life, really. She went overboard with the food, but she also went overboard with the decorations. She went overboard because she was trying to to help us take our minds off it. So her house was just uh, incredible. There were six million lights on the front of it so the people in the neighborhood knew her house as the disco house. And there were little fiberglass figurines of reindeer and Santa and a few elves who were wearing other elves limbs because they had fallen off in the shed (laughs) so one elf had two right thumbs (laughs) and there was the nativity the church nativity that she had stolen from the Methodist church a long time ago with the mechanical baby and the mechanical Mary Mary raises her finger and the little infant child looks toward the front door very creepy and there was a hand-painted sign my uncle had made it said Jesus is the resin he dropped out of school in eighth grade but her coup de grace her master stroke was the ever gleam Christmas tree made of pure aircraft mirror polished aluminum It was seven feet tall, eight with the star, manufactured in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. It was a tree like no other, the ever tree. If you got too close to it, you would have fine razor blade scrapes (laughs) on your skin that would turn blue with corrosion. (laughs) This thing we got from the Sears store, my uncle and I went to go pick it up in a box that was roughly the size of a Honda Civic, He was carrying this thing under his arm and the cashier said, that's a nice tree. You going to put it up yourself? He said, no, in the living room. And they opened it on the the living room floor and dumped it out, all 7,329 pieces. There was a color-coded manual schematic drawing written in Mandarin, Japanese, French, and Hungarian. (laughs) There was an FDA warning. There were pieces that didn't look like they went to anything except maybe an aircraft carrier. And my uncle looked at the assemblage on the floor and he said... We're going to need more beer. (laughs) We put that thing together over three afternoons. It stood in the corner, and when the light hit it just right, it looked like you were looking directly at the sun. They sold a little projector that went with it, and this projector would change colors every so often, and the whole living room would change colors with it. My uncle would sit in that den, and he'd say, I feel like I'm at a Willie Nelson concert. Give me another beer. <laughs> but the biggest, biggest obstacle that season was not the tree. The biggest obstacle that season was the beaver. Now, there was a local beaver who my uncle had nicknamed Bobby. He had this beaver that had dammed up a local tributary, and it had flooded his front yard. It had flooded the yard behind him. It had flooded the cattle pastures behind him, and the surrounding farmland was a boggy bayou. You could walk back there, and you could sink into mud about halfway up to your knee. Every morning, my uncle would get up. He'd get onto his porch wearing nothing but his BVDs and his white wife-beater shirt He would get the Atlanta Journal Constitution under his arm and he would cuss openly at the sky when he saw that big bayou across the way from his house. He'd say, oh, that beaver. He hated that beaver. This beaver worked his way into his mind subconscious. All he could think about was the beaver. His garage workshop had turned into a melee of panther urine repellent cages Traps, bear traps with big jaws, chains dangling from the ceiling, Winchesters and Remingtons with special gauges to kill beavers, beaver extinction volumes. He was obsessed with the beaver. He 'd walk into the feeding seed, and the men at the feeding seed' would say, "So how about that beaver?" And then they 'd spit into their mountain dew bottle, and my uncle would give him a four part sermon complete with hand gestures. And he'd pump his fist and he'd talk about that beaver and he'd use these words I'd never heard before. Combinations of words that really make a man feel like he wants to join the Navy. (laughs) That beaver dominated his conversations. You could not ask him for five bucks to go to the store and get a little bit of candy without him talking about The beaver. My aunt once said, she said, you know, I'll be sorry when that beaver dies because he won't have nothing to do anymore. (laughs) It was like that, Sean, when the squirrels in the attic, when we had the squirrels in the attic, he spent two years trying to get them squirrels out. When them squirrels were finally gone, he just sat around the house and moped and cried. He came up with his plan one day, though. And his plan was that he was going to start A beaver coalition posse he got his friends tater and mole they all were farmers in there they gathered together at the local vfw on a friday night with me in tow i sat at the bar in the dim lit room listening to johnny cash sing about somebody named sue and i drank a virgin shirley temple Three or four Virgin Shirley Temples, they just kept coming, and I listened to the men seated at the round top table over here. They were so committed to this new beaver organization. This is how serious they were. They wouldn't even talk about the beaver until they established secret code names. You're gonna be Dark Shadow. No, I'm Dark Shadow. Hell, you were Dark Shadow last year when we were trying to get rid of that coyote. Can I be somebody like Big Rig 10? You ain't never driven a big rig in your life. (laughs) They would laugh liberally over these $2 pictures and they would speak in these voices that old people use and I fell in love with the cadence of an old man telling a story. They talked about things that I'd only heard about. They talked about old days and old ways. I loved listening to them talk. They'd say, you ever watch that MTV? (sighs) It's horrible, ain't it? I mean, I saw a girl on there yesterday. She was wearing a conical brassiere. She was prancing around the stage wearing a skirt that wasn't long enough to qualify as a belt. I mean, the world's going downhill. Oh, I know it. I know it. you know we were good kids growing up? We were good kids. I mean, I never even kissed my wife before we were married. How about you? Well, I don't know what was her maiden name. <laughs> They were Sunday school people. They were people who were very committed to, to printing up the bulletins each week, to straighten the hymnals. They were good people. And when they cut loose, they cut loose big. But when they tell stories, they engage in the world's oldest art form. And I love to hear it. And they would tell these stories. Well, that, got, that night got a little bit out of control. The two-dollar pictures helped with that. Uh, three men's wives had to be called after men were falling off the bar stools and injuring themselves. One of those men was My uncle. And when my Aunt Eula showed up in the doorway wearing her pink curlers and her house coat and her arms crossed, you could bowl an egg on her forehead. The bartender looked at my uncle. He said, and you're worried about a beaver? She piled him into her Cadillac Seville and she tore back home. And it was the next morning when he was feeling real fine that we all went for our first posse walk. We walked through the muddy bayou, single file. The men were carrying their Winchesters, their Remingtons, and their browning ironware. And I was in the very, very back bringing up the rear, clad in an oversized neon orange hat and a big orange vest, and I was carrying the cooler. In many ways, I was like the little drummer boy. I walk behind them and I listen to them talk and I listen to them spot and point and look for that beaver and they'd talk about him like he'd done something personal to their mama. <laughs> and then the men would do what men do when they're outdoors. They went silent. Men are silent outdoors. And my uncle would look back at me and whisper and he'd say, silence is the key to enjoying yourself as a man. Silence is how you go fishing. Silence is how you hunt. Silence is how you stay married. (laughs) So we walked through that, that tall grass, and these men were quiet, and they looked around. It was a wonderful experience, and I felt just for that little space in time that the bereavement I was going through was eased. My grief was eased. I thought just a little bit less about the pain that I was going through and about my old man being gone. And we finally turned around and we came home and we sat in that kitchen and we ate that meager supper of turkey and dressing. And we went to bed, we woke up and the posse did it again. We walked through the fields and I came to love that Christmas season out there carrying that cooler for those old men in the posse. And it was one day that we were out for our little posse walk, that my uncle held up a hand, Special Forces style. (laughs) Everybody dropped to their stomachs. One man almost puked. Tater said, what is it? He said, I see it. Mole said, you see what? He said, I see Bobby. He said, you're kidding me. He said, no, there he is. And I looked, and there down by the creek's edge, sure enough, was an 85-pound rodent with 10-inch long yellow teeth and a waffle iron tail. (laughs) He was munching on some twigs and a pine cone, and you could hear his. And my, my uncle started to cuss. He said, I got him. I got him. He's there. This ends tonight. And in that moment, I looked and saw that beaver in a new way. I had never seen a beaver before. A beaver is an impressive creature, no matter what anybody tells you. They are North America's largest rodent. They get way, way bigger than 75 pounds. They get up to 100 pounds. Some have been documented 125 pounds. Now, on land, they look very uncoordinated and bumbling. But in the water, they are Michelangelo. These beavers are pure muscle. They use their tail as a big rudder. It spins them through the water. Their fur gets as slick as a catfish coat. And when they come up out of that water, they get up to their lodge. Beavers build more than dams. They build lodges that have multiple rooms in them. They have underwater exits. They have a chimney for fresh air. These beavers were incredible. He'd go into his lodge. He'd come back out, and he'd swim around like Mark Spitz. And I'd watch this beaver with my jaw open and when my uncle got his rifle pointed he trained it on that beaver and I started to cry I said no no don't kill it please don't kill the beaver and my uncle put his gun down and he held me to him he held me real tight and we both realized in that moment that I wasn't crying about a beaver at all I'll never forget that. And he squeezed me. He said, Okay, okay. I won't kill that beaver. I won't kill him. I, kill him. I said, Promise. He said, I promise. I said, Oh, thank you. And all the men in the posse were looking around and going, What's going on? What's going on? My uncle said, Get up. We're going home. And we plodded home. And when we got home, my uncle called a specialist in Dawsonville. The specialist was a man with a large red beard and a big old rusted truck with tires that were the size of the Lincoln Memorial. There were lights on the front of his truck that just blazed forward like the second coming of Jesus. He pulled in. He jumped out of his truck. His boots hit the mud. He said, I hear you got a beaver. He said, yeah, my uncle. Yeah, but the deal is you can't harm him. And so the beaver man went out, he caught six beavers in one afternoon, two days before Christmas. I'll never forget seeing those beavers on the back of the truck. They were all loaded into cages and they were eating corn on the cob. And I watched them drive way, way, way out into the sticks as they departed that driveway. I watched some taillights lights wink out into the distance, and my uncle stood beside me, crestfallen. He had wanted blood but them beavers were gone and the beaver man had promised me that he would take them and set them free in the north Georgia mountains. He had never done that before and I doubt he'll ever do it again. And that evening I went into the, to the den and I found my uncle sitting in that psychedelic light show sipping his sweaty can looking at the wall with its changing colors from that ever gleam Christmas tree And I could see this little tear in his eye. And I knew that he wasn't thinking about a beaver either. And I went and I sat next to this Army veteran, this man who had seen some things in his life, who was a hard man. And he put his arm around me, which was something we did not do. And I never before noticed how badly he smelled. (laughs) And he patted my shoulder. We said nothing, but volumes were exchanged between us volumes of words and sentences and feelings. He said, You know, a man can want something so bad that he forgets what it is that he wants, and all he can think about is the wanting. And then he just looked at that tree, and the Vienna Boys Choir behind us was starting to play on the hi fi. He said, you know, I wouldn't be upset if that beaver came back. I kind of liked having him around. And in the spirit of Christmas, six weeks later, my uncle got his wish.
1: rose tinted lens the american landscape broken glass we'll pick up the pieces bad weather not afraid to get wet. challenge accepted we'll take it perspiration no sweat May we never tire working hard to understand be good to each other. Find the means and do what we can. Broken glass, we'll pick up the pieces. Bad weather, not afraid to get wet. Challenge accepted, we'll take it. Perspiration, no sweat. system, unite the people, we've come too far to forget, we are all created equal, even if we've never met, broken glass, we'll pick up the pieces, bad weather, not afraid to get wet, challenge accepted, we'll take it, perspiration, no sweat, perspiration, no sweat,